Glory be to God. Well, it's good to see everyone in the house of the Lord in the sleepy weather. Amen. It's good when we push our way through in the sleepy weather. These are the kind of weather you'd rather just stay home and chill than go outside the home. And so we are, it's just good to be together again and allow the Lord to instruct us and enjoy his presence as we are together. Amen. We will continue our discipleship series, and tonight we're going to talk about beyond separation. Beyond separation is our discipleship topic tonight. Beyond separation, we'll take uh, our scripture text tonight from Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, we'll take our scripture text from there. We'll read verses 6 and 7. The word of the Lord says in verse 6, And God spake on this wise, that his seed should surjoin in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil for 400 years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will judge, said God. And after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. Now, I don't know if you follow your Bible uh, well, but that was, if you read all of Acts chapter 7, it's kind of interesting how all of Acts kind of, um, is showing you the acts of the apostles and how the, the Holy Ghost work in them and through them. And you're reading all of that. But Acts chapter 7 is a whole dissertation on everything that happened way back in the Old Testament to lead all the way up to where they are. So if you ever want to kind of get a synopsis, pretty interesting here. If you ever want to get a synopsis of where the history of the church started, and, and, and how we arrived here, Acts chapter 7 have a lot in there that you can read and probably get a good grasp of, of understanding where all of this is, has started and how we got to this place today because it's all a really long chapter of just how all of that happened. So it's a good study for you. So if you want to study it, learn a little bit more about the Word of God, Acts chapter 7, the entire chapter, you will learn a lot about how far uh, we're coming and how it all got to that point. Luke did a really great job, um, just kind of give us an understanding. Luke is the, is the, um, the writer of uh, Acts, and so he, he laid it out pretty good. And as we said, the book of Luke and also um, the book of Acts, they're well-written books because Luke is a detailed guy because Luke was a physician, so you have the mind of a physician um, writing or recording the things that God wanted uh, in the Bible, and um, he was very detailed in how he wrote all of those things. So the book of Acts and the book of Luke are well-written book, but this chapter 7 book, um, of, of the seventh book of Acts is uh, pretty special. Um, let me talk to you a little bit about where we're going as we read a little bit about what led to beyond separation. 
beyond separation. And we'll get to that a little bit and deal with what we mean by beyond separation. There was something unusual and extraordinary about these two boys. Others would complain and speak disparagingly about their leader, but these two never join in. God will never allow you to lead when you condemn his leader. You can't talk about God's man or God's woman and expect for God to use you. Don't work that way. So when you start having problems with God's person, you just know you kind of sign your your, 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 your your death warrant there about you becoming anything for the Lord because he won't use you because you have uh, entered into a danger zone. In their minds, there was nothing to complain about, these two boys. Their lives consisted of everything a young boy could ever desire. They experienced adventure. They experienced excitement. Camping out in a tent, plenty of food and water, and being constantly on the move and having lots of fun. (laughs) How would little boys ever regret having a life like that, right? Some wished they had never left their old neighborhood with its security and things they could depend on. But not these two little boys. They were ready to leave everything behind. They were all about moving into the future, having the adventure of their lives, and believing every word their leader had told them about their amazing destiny. And so I'll stop there and say to all of you, Will you ever believe what the preacher is telling you, what your leader is telling you about your amazing destiny in God? Will you stop one day and say, you know, uh, I got to believe that what the pastor is saying to me, what this man of God is saying to me, what this leader is saying to me, he is telling me how I can fulfill my destiny that God has in store for me, and I need to trust that and believe that and just execute what I'm hearing. One day, as their large group was once again on the move, they suddenly came to a halt. They were told by their parents that the leader had called a special assembly asking for the brightest and best young men from each tribe to step forward to volunteer for a special assignment. Uh huh. The elders would have to make such a decision, but these two were ready right then and there to step up and serve this exciting assignment. Apparently, they were at the threshold of their destination, and their leader needed some young men to go into the new land and investigate it before the others followed behind them. As these two young men walked through what was to become their new homeland, they became increasingly excited about what they saw, lush fruits, 
fruitful vineyards and the biggest clusters of grapes on the vine they had ever seen. There was one other amazing thing they had never seen before, and it was somewhat troubling. Giants! Some of these giant, gigantic men were over nine feet tall. Most of the others were fearful of the giants, but not these two young men. If this is what God had in store for them, these giants were just details. Can I tell you, you've heard me say this before, and I will continue to say it till I'm no longer here. If you live for God easy, it will be hard. If you live for God hard, it will be easy. What do you mean by that, preacher? If you don't decide that I am on a journey to fulfill my destiny, God knows everything that's right for me, and I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to go, and I'm not going to worry about anything. So I'm giving my everything to this. If we don't make up our minds like that, then we're living for God easy. When you make up your mind that this is it, I'm giving everything to this. Whatever God says, I'm doing. Wherever God sends me, I'm going. That's living for God hard. So when someone says, are you going to? Don't even ask me. I made a reputation in my church before this one that don't ask Brother Wayne. It's a done deal. Nobody had to wonder where I would be or what I would. It's a done deal because I'd already made up my mind that this is my destiny. And whatever God has in store for me, this is the way he will lead me to accomplish or fulfill whatever he has in store for me. That's living for God hard. You're not thinking about should I or shouldn't I. If it's about God's business, it's no should or shouldn't. I am going to get it done. I am going where God wants me to go because this is the will of God for my life. That's living for God hard. But when we pick and choose, that's living for God easy. Uh-huh. These young men live for God hard. So when, the, when they had been told that there was a land that was in store for them that was going to be great and wonderful for them, everything that they ever need was going to be in this land, they, they bought into that. And they said, well, whatever it takes, we're going to do what we need to do because we're going in to possess that land that God promised us. So when they saw the good, they were like, great. I expected that because God promised us this would be a great land. And when they saw giants, they said, oh, well, no big deal. It's ours, so whatever has to be done, it will be done because this belonged to us. This is what God promised us. So no need to be afraid. No need to back down when God already made you a promise. Man, we can take a whole lot of lessons from these young men. As they gathered themselves together to return to camp, many of the other young men began to express their fears and doubts about whether or not this promised land would ever be theirs. They were, the others were living for God easy. 
when you when you're not certain about or you haven't mm, if you have not committed the way you like the way you need to commit it if you if you don't have no skin in the game as they like to say when you put everything that you've got into it if you don't do that the least little thing that becomes an obstacle you back up you start questioning you start wondering why because you haven't invested the way you need to but when you invest like you need to it doesn't matter what comes up. Oh, we'll figure that out. Oh, we'll work that through. Oh, we'll get that done. Because I'm not going back. I've already made up my mind. I'm going forward. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to continue because God had promised me my destiny is over there and we must go through here. Mine is already made up. You got to make your mind up. That your destiny is ahead of you and God is in control of it. And the way God will illustrate or guide or direct you to go and fulfill that destiny is all good. And you're all in. So some of these young men started wondering because of the giants. They started doubting that the promised land would ever be theirs. But these two young men, Joshua and Caleb. Did not feel that way at all. They knew there was something different about them compared to the others. You got to know you're different than the others. If, you, if you're struggling with understanding that once you have surrendered your life to Christ, you're different from others. And then when you realize that you have given all and some hasn't yet, you don't treat them any different. You don't look at them side-eyed, but you just got to know you're different from them. And you can't allow anything to make you feel like, feel guilty or you shouldn't be doing what they're doing. Man, I wish somehow I can transmit that to all of you here. Part of it is my personality. So I'm not going to take all the credit. Part of it is my personality. But can I tell you this? What I'm doing for God, in my mind, oh, there's nothing better than it. And so, so someone tell me about whatever they're doing outside of God, that they're having this good time, or how much money they're making, or how things are great, or how bigger the house they can get, or how nice of the car that they can drive. In my mind, still ain't better than what I'm doing. I'm just telling you. It, it, you can have a nicer car than mine, a way bigger house than mine, more property than mine, a better job than mine, and, and living better than me with butlers and everything. And you're telling me, yo, dude, I, I can show you how you can accomplish this and have just the same. I said, no, I'm good. I like this. Because I always feel like what I'm doing, that's the right thing. So I'll give you all a story real quick now that I'm thinking about it. So some of you know my oldest son. He's just crazy. And so he sent me a picture today of a robot lawnmower. Only my son, man. <laughs> Only my son, man. I just, I just shake my head. I just shake my head. I just shake my head. So I said, what is this? Dad, you won't have to. Worry about getting a service. You won't have to cut. I just text back. I said, listen, I'm good. Do you understand you got to upkeep the robot? 
Do you understand you still got to pick up the grass? Do you understand all that stuff? I said, we're cool. We'll just keep on paying the, the, the service that cut the grass and just go from there. We don't need the robot lawnmower. But that's just a little point of me trying to tell you, get God so good that no matter what anybody tells you, say, I'm good. I don't need that. It doesn't matter how much they try to sell you something that they're trying to convince you is so great. You got to have God so good that you got to say, okay, you have it, but I'm good. I don't care how much they can rationalize or justify or point out how they can really make this is better for you. Oh, I'm good. This is what I'm talking about from last Sunday. When you love truth and you hold on to truth, it doesn't matter what anybody else come with. It doesn't matter because if what I have is everything, if what I have is the best of everything, you can't tell me nothing else. Joshua and Caleb. Mm -hmm. They knew they were different than everybody else. And now they understood what it was. It was not enough. For them to come out of Egypt and just be happy living in the wilderness. They felt strongly about moving into the land of their destiny, no matter how great the cost of sacrifice. I don't know, sometimes God might stone me for saying this, but I'll say it anyhow. To be honest with you. I don't know what God is asking us to give up so we can have him in sacrifice. I, I really, if you really stop and think about that, you know, we can keep saying, you know, yeah, present your body a living sacrifice. But I just stop and think and I'm like, for what God says we will receive and, and the life that we will live, what is, what are we sacrificing? Is it really a sacrifice? I don't know. Unfortunately, the other 10 guys gave a neg negative report which kept their entire nation from inheriting what God had promised them. It took 40 years for these men to return to this same place. Their entire generation died off in the wilderness because of the lack of faith. But because of the passion of these two men to not only leave Egypt and walk through the wilderness, but also to step into their destiny. God honored their faith and allowed them to help fulfill his plan. Church, let me tell you this. When you have stepped into the plan of God for your life and start to walk in the path that takes you to your destiny, death has to wait for you. All of your associate and all your friends will die off and watch you still living if you are walking in the purpose and the plan of God for your life. We're not doing it just so we can have long life on earth because I don't even know if long life on earth is that great. Oh, eternal life is great, but I don't know if long life, but what I'm telling you is you can't control when you die. You don't control exactly the time you die but you can control when how do you mean preacher by just stepping into your destiny by walking in your purpose because once you're serving the purpose and will of god who's gonna stop you tell me who's bad enough to stop you okay when joshua and caleb walked in their purpose 
When everyone else says, oh, giants, they said, no, we, we're not worried about. When they walked in their purpose, the Bible told you those children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for many years and died off and left Joshua and Caleb. You know why? Because Joshua and Caleb always had a right heart and a right spirit, and they walked in their destiny. They walked in the purpose of God and never had to worry about one thing. All of their friends and relatives died off. And so, God's goal for the children of Israel was not only to deliver them from Egypt, but also to take them into the promised land. So, we got to get this thing right. Can we get this thing right? God, if you read all through the book of Exodus and just roll over in the numbers, you will see that God had said from the very beginning, when the children of Israel was in bondage, all he kept saying was to tell Pharaoh to let my people go so they can serve me. You look pregnant. Finally. You know, we've been her, she's pregnant, like, okay, is she... All right, we're waiting. She looked pregnant. Uh, and she, she, she finally looked pregnant. Uh, so, so, so God told Pharaoh, let my people go so they can serve me. Here is what we can't do, people of God. You can't just expect for God to deliver you from your bondage and from what you've been going through and from all the things that held you captive and from the hard life and from sin. You can't just expect for God to deliver you and that's it. And that's kind of what we've been doing. God deliver us, meaning we understood who he was. We repented of our sins. We got baptized in Jesus' name. We got filled with his spirit. And we're just celebrating. We come to church and we dance. We come to church and we sing. We come to church and we shout. But we're only doing that because we have been delivered from that situation, from sin, from what we were in. And God is saying, but that's not it. That's not it. And we're just, we can't get over it. Girl, I'm saved. I go to church now. And God is saying that's not it. Because God's goal for us is not just that we get delivered from sin. It's not just that we get delivered from Satan. It's not just that we get delivered from bondage and all that stuff. But he wants to take us somewhere. Yes. All right, let's carry on. It was not enough to get them out of bondage and free them from the whip of the taskmaster. But God's plan was to bring them fully into their destiny of becoming a kingdom of priests. God's destiny for you is to bring you fully into his kingdom and make us priests. Royal priesthood, peculiar people is what he calls us in the word of God. He desired to restore them to the land he had given to Abraham generations before. A land now occupied by the Canaanites. You know what I find interesting? That today our greatest unrest and war that is the greatest that we're dealing with is about property that God 
has given his people. Can you imagine? Property. Land. That God says, here, this is yours. That's what our biggest unrest and war that we're having in this world all about. Listen to me. The land of Israel is not just an old 60 miles wide by 90 miles long piece of land. You hear how big Israel is or how small it is? 60 miles wide, 90 miles long. That's how big Israel is or how small it is. It's about 9,070 people. I'm sorry, 9,070,000 people that live in Israel today. 74% of the people that live in Israel are Hebrew people. 74%, not 100%. 20% are Arabs. Listen, this... I can't hide because it's Bible. But I have to say this. If you don't believe that Israel belonged to God and those people is who he chose at the very beginning to carry out his plan, you are lost. There's no way that land that's 60 miles wide, 90 miles long, and only possessed by 74% of Hebrew people, and when I say 74%, you got to count children, old people, middle age, and nobody can overtake them. It's very interesting. They got 20% of Arabs that's, that's living there that would like to overtake them, and they can't overtake them. You don't think God set that there just like that? Uh-huh. Check this out. When you look at the map of the Middle East, it is easy to see the strategy God had in mind for his people. The land of Israel is a natural land bridge between Europe, Africa, and Asia. (laughs) I'm telling you, dude, man, the dude, the dude, the Lord, mm. Travelers journeying from Africa would naturally come through Israel on their way to Europe or Asia and vice versa for the other two continents. If you look at where Israel is situated, where it is, the little piece of land up north, I guess that's northwest probably, that would be Europe. You come down southwest would be all of Africa, and then you go east, and that will be all of Asia. And you got this land right here in the middle that nobody can overtake. Little piece of 60 by 90. But God said it there for a special purpose. Uh huh. This strategic location where Israel is was God's way of bringing the world to the land of his people where they could teach them about the one true and living God his way. So if you were traveling anywhere over there that way, you would have to cut through Israel to get where you got to get to in order to make it easy on you. 
And so to cut through, guess what? You had to meet the people that believed in one God. Jesus taught us that when he showed us in the Bible the, the, the example of the woman at the well. When he said, I need to go to Samaria. And, 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 and he had to, when he had to go through, I'm sorry, he had to go to, um, uh, where was he going? But he said, I must need to cut through Samaria. And Samaria was a place where the Jews didn't really, you know, get too close to. But Jesus has shown us a whole example of what we need to understand about where Israel is situated, which is, I need to make sure that we're ready to teach the word of God and everyone that will try to come through or walk through this way, we have an opportunity to witness to them, to teach them that there's only one God. God still has a geographical location and strategy in mind for reaching this world with his message. That location and strategy is not a landmass, nor is it a church campus, but his geographical location strategy to impact this world is wherever his born again believers happen to be right now. Oh, somebody help me. We need to get out of the mindset of land and territory and realize we are the land. We are the territory. Can I say it this way? The Bible says that the kingdom of God is within us. And how you enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again of the water and of the spirit. And when you are born again of the water and of the spirit, and you submit to the teachings and enter covenant with him, you become his property. And so no longer is his property the land of Israel. No longer is his property some kind of territory. But his property, his landmass, whatever you want to call it, is every born again believer. And wherever we are, that's where we need to be to let people know about this one true and living God. His name is Jesus. And wherever we go, we're supposed to be teaching the word of God. We're supposed to be leading in the charge about the word of God because we are his territory. He is the king of this kingdom. Uh huh. So let's not worry about land. Yes, Israel need to defend what the Lord has given them because they need to be obedient. But right now, the church of the living God, we, his people, need to understand we are the modern day territory. Every person that is born again and gave their life to Christ and surrendered and let him be Lord of their life, we are the territories now. And when people, when we cross paths with people, we're supposed to be able to instruct them on who our God is. Uh-huh. We are the bridge between lost people and the living God. Don't ever forget that. You are the bridge between lost people and the living God. As they walk through our lives, it is our calling and responsibility to engage them as friends and lead them into becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. Why should born again children of God never be satisfied with just going to church? 
Where has God geographically situated you right now? And what around you assures you that you are where he wants you to be? If you're someplace, any place, and you're not, and you don't find yourself doing something for Jesus, then you need to question yourself and say, did he put me here or did I put myself here? Because Jesus don't put you anywhere until you do nothing. Uh huh. Even the land that is, that can't move, even that land wasn't put there to do nothing. That gives me a different meaning to the scripture that says, if you don't praise me, the rocks will. It gives me a different meaning because now I'm here thinking that the way where Israel is situated, it's the land. It can't speak. It can't do anything. It can't move. But guess what? It is doing something. Because every person, listen, I read there's about 4 million people who visit Israel every year. And that's not counting people that just cut through to go to different places. That land is being used by any land in this whole world. Israel is being used and is stable, not going. But God placed it there. And wherever God put anything or anyone, you will be used of God. My Lord, he's bad. He put a land... That can't do anything in a place where it will do a whole lot. You know how many people are planning to go visit Israel? You know how many people are planning to go visit places close to Israel that got to go through Israel? That land is just working. You're going to know who he is. It's going to be up to you whether you will agree and obey or you're just going to ignore But he's surely going to reveal to you who he is. This may sound sacrilegious initially, but it is not crucial, or should I say it this way? It is not that important to get people to come to church immediately. Uh Uh-huh. We like to see people says, you need to go to church. And whether you understand that or not, guess what? You're not the first one that told them that probably. And they haven't gone. You don't know why. Because people tend to go along with what the people that they trust say. They tend to go along with what the people that they spend time with say. They tend to go along with people who, who, who they, they, they feel kind of close to and friendly with. So when, 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 when you see them on the fly, hey girl, hey girl, and you keep moving and then all of a sudden, hey, you need to go to church. Mm, she might not receive that. But when you see, hey girl, where you work? Uh huh. And you start having conversations, and little by little, you you spark up some kind of something that you, you and her have in common, and you and you and and you talk about it, and you share, and every so often, hey, we got to get together, and you just don't say it just to say it, but you really do get together, and you get together, spend some time. 
You don't think at some point in time she's going to say to you, you go to church, huh? You don't think at some point she's going to say that to you? You might not even have to say anything. But we haven't learned that art of how Jesus has taught us to do it, which is to meet people. Be friendly to them. Be kind to them. He showed us so many things. He showed us how the, um, um, which one was it? Um, the Good Samaritan. He showed us the whole story with the Good Samaritan. He gave us the whole story with the woman at the well. He keeps showing us these stories about just people meeting people and showing them love and kindness. And then when you begin to tell them about the one true God, guess what? They're listening. So when you meet people, I'm not telling you not to invite them to church. I am just telling you the goal is for them to become a disciple of Christ. And the best way to get that moving is to befriend them, is to let them know that you care about them, is to take interest in them. And when you take interest in them, then now if you start to tell them something, they will listen. But if you just tell them to go to church, some of you will be able to identify with this. You tell them to go to church, you know what happened? They don't go, and then they start hiding from you. See, see, I, you see what I'm saying? That's why I know I'm telling you what's right. Because if they don't go that first time you tell them to go to church, oh, they start hiding. Oh, yeah. Daryl, Daryl, I see Daryl. They was coming outside. They was coming out their front door. And as Ooh, Daryl parking his driveway. Close the door. And they watch Daryl go in his driveway, watch him, make sure he go in the house, give him a couple minutes. Then they come out and get in their car and go. Why? Because I'm not going to church. And he wanted me to go to church. Yeah. But your friends don't have to do that. Your friends not going to hide from you. Your friend's not going to ignore you because they're your friends. You made a friendship with them. They know where you go. You know where they go. They know where you go and you know all about their life. They're not hiding from you. And you know what they're going to tell you? I'm coming one day. And guess what? They will come one day. Because guess what? My Jesus know how to stir the nest and let them start saying, I'm going through a difficult time. I need you to pray for me. Oh, my Jesus not a stir the nest. But you have to be of good friendship, good friend and loving them. Y'all getting this? All right. I'm almost done because it's school night. And I'm making sure the kids get in bed in time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. We are the embodiment of everything that happens. Remember. The church is not the building. We are the church. So if you want to get technical, we don't have to tell them they need to go to church. They are, they, they are visiting the church when they see you. Oh, God help us. Listen, you know what's funny that we never stop to realize? We are the church really and truly. So look at it. When someone comes here... We're the ones that's praying. When somebody comes here, we're the ones that's singing and worshiping. When somebody comes here, we're the ones that's preaching the word of God. So guess what? 
When they really come here, it's us that they get to experience with the presence of God, not this building. So the church is us, not the building. And I know a lot of times people, even though they know it, they still kind of operate like the building is the most significant thing that they really do when they come to the building. But we are the church, so we don't have to worry about telling them, oh, you need to go to church. Mm -hmm. Once we find a new place of discovery or experience with God, the human tendency is to camp right there and never leave. We got to be careful of becoming uh, content uh, or comfortable where we are in God. Peter expressed this while on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord. He was so enamored with the appearance of Jesus when on the Mount of Transfiguration, as the glory of the Lord was radiating, he was so inundated with it. He, he saw Jesus and he saw Moses and Elijah and he says, let us stay right here and let me build three tabernacles. We, when we experience anything good, we want to stay right there and we never want to move. But can I tell you, that's normal with us. But what God wants us to understand, that no matter how great you think it is, at the place where you are, God said, there's greater still to experience in me. I know where you are, and I know you like what you're seeing. I know you like what you're feeling. I know you like what you're experiencing. But because I'm God, there is so much more that I can get you to see. There is so much more that I can get you to experience. Don't you get comfortable staying right there. That's what God wants us to understand. We don't need to just get so consumed by what's going on at the time to say, this is right. We need to stay right here. I've seen us as people mess up big time like that because we think what's going on right there, that's all that God wants to do. And if we'll be honest with ourselves, guess what? If we keep doing the same thing over and over, after a while we start saying, I need more, I need something different. And God knows that. That's why he will never leave you in a place just to keep on experiencing the same thing over and over again. He knows after a while you're going to get bored. And we trick ourselves in thinking that we just want to stay right there. I just want to stay right. It's so good. right? I just want to stay right here. You're just deceiving yourself. Give you a few months and you're going to get tired of that. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt and passed through the Red Sea, they sat, they set up camp at the base of Mount Sinai. They remained there for 10 months and witnessed extraordinary events, lightning, thunder, earthquake, supernatural trumpet blasts. Moses' ascension to the top of the mountain, the cloud of glory descending on the mount, the Ten Commandments written with the finger of God, and the glory of God upon the face of Moses. As amazing as all these unusual, memorable experiences were, this was not where God had called them to become established. So when they crossed the Red Sea, and they're celebrating, all the Egyptians got overthrown, and they're celebrating, they stayed there for ten months. And God didn't say that's where you need to stay. But they were just so, just 
all consumed with all the great things. Man, look, God shut up the Red Sea on them. They dead. All of them gone. Look at what. And so they stayed there. And God is saying, listen, that's not the final place. We've got some place to some grounds to cover. Let's go. But they stayed there for 10 months. They were far short crossing over Jordan and into the promised land. God's plan is not only for us to be separated and distinct from the culture, but he also desires for us to become dedicated to his mission. So let me let, let me pause right here because I'm going to finish up at 830. Let me pause right here and say this to you. The lesson, we entitle it Beyond Separation. And what I'm trying to get across to you tonight is that God is not just wanting for you to be separated from your sin and from the world and from all that kept you in bondage and from all that entangled you. It's beyond that. As a matter of fact, can I tell you something about separation? Let's even take it a step further. The Bible says, be holy as I am holy. Holy and holiness, same thing, means to be consecrated, means to be separated. Uh Uh-huh. But here is what I love in the definition of being consecrated, separated, if you will. It means to set apart from and dedicated to. You can't. We cannot be holy by just being separated from our sins. Why? Because there's only one that's holy. There's nobody else holy but Jesus Christ. So the only way we can ever be holy is be joined. Be dedicated unto him because as he is all holy, that's how we become holy. His holiness is what overshadows us. We don't have holiness in us. We are defiled and we can never be holy except we are dedicated unto the Lord. So when we separate from our sins, when we separate from worldliness, when we separate from immorality, when we separate from ungodliness, we must be dedicated unto Christ. So when we say beyond separation, what we're saying tonight is we can't just settle with, I am no longer living the way I used to live. No, we must now dedicate ourselves to living a new life in in going and, and following the direction of God to fulfill our destiny. And how we do that? is by being mature disciples of Jesus Christ and to help to disciple others. You can't disciple anybody and take anybody any place you have not been. You can't take anybody any place where you have not been. If you and them are going there together and you've never been there, you're going together. But you're not taking them. But if you've been there, then you're taking them. And if we're going to take people to meet Christ, then we will be effective if we have already met Christ. But but if we're going through the motions of salvation and Christianity, then we can't take anybody to Christ. 
Being separated from the world without being dedicated to the mission of Christ is perhaps somewhat like the tree inspected, the, the, the tree Jesus inspected that had leaves but no fruit. Ooh. You don't want to be a tree with leaves but no fruit. Because if you remember, Jesus cursed that fig tree. Said, you, you, you acting like you're doing something, but you're doing nothing. You've got leaves, and you look like you're ready to bear fruit, but there's no fruit. And he cursed it. Uh huh. A tree that have leaves and bear no, no fruit, it advertised what could be, or advertised what it could not produce. So we can advertise what we can't produce. Yes. A lot of, a lot of people are advertising what they can't produce. Remember what I said Sunday? You all need to try that one day. Just, 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 just to kind of see if it works. Just when you start talking to people, you have a good conversation with them. You just say to them, what if I really wanted to be saved? Or what if somebody told you they really want to be saved? What would you tell them? Man, we do that test. You will see that test. You will see how many people fail that test. And even some of us that's in church, in apostolic church, will fail that test. You have to know if somebody say to you, how can I be saved? You have to have the clear plan in the Bible, biblical clear plan to say, here's how you become saved. If you can't do that, we need to work on that. Because then you will be like the tree. False advertisement. Because it, this all comes down to people need to meet Jesus. And if you've never met Jesus, how can you take them to meet Jesus? Yeah. Remember in the script, scripture, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Lord, Lord, didn't we do wonderful, mighty works in your name? He says, depart from me for I never knew you. So there are people that have the the formality, but it's not there. As transformed disciples of Jesus Christ, what we advertise on the menu better be in the kitchen. As transformed disciples of Jesus Christ, what we advertise on the menu better be in the kitchen. So if you're telling people I'm saved, sanctified, and Holy Ghost filled, and they want to be saved, sanctified, and Holy Ghost filled, it better be in the kitchen. You better know how to tell it to them. Uh-huh. All right, let me finish up here. Let me finish up here. The only fruitfulness a transformed disciple is capable of producing is more disciple. So if we are children of God, the only fruit you can actually produce. Come on, Holy Ghost. The only fruit a true born-again disciple can produce is another disciple. Proof. All the other fruits are owned by Jesus. 
Go to Galatians and look at it. Sister Ray, go to Galatians, go look at it. All those fruit come from him. So when we go with love and joy and peace and all this stuff and, and goodness and long-suffering and meekness, that's all his. But if you will reproduce yourself, it's all you can do. <laughs> it's all you can do. That's the only fruit you can ever bring before the Lord and say, see, Lord, I produce fruit. Because all the other fruit that you, will, that you are mimicking him to produce, is, it came from him. Mm-hmm. All right. Some Christians today have radically, have, some Christians today have had their sin problem radically dealt with through their obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they have turned their back on the world, but they have not been successful in impacting lost people around them. Mm-hmm. We got to look at that again and see how we have lived our life for God and why we have not impacted lost souls. And so let me read this last story for you. Ever since he was a little boy, he always knew he was different. Maybe it was the way his parents spoke to him or perhaps it was the way they it was the way they and his older siblings carried themselves that intuitively made him to know he had a destiny. When he was only three years old, he told the neighbor man whom the boy loved that if he didn't quit smoking, he was going to go to hell. The neighbor man thought it was cute and told the little boy's father that, you know, you're raising a preacher boy. At the age of seven, he was sitting by a his mother during a worship service on a cold winter night. To his amazement, he somehow stayed awake throughout the entire service and was rewarded with the hopeful end of the service. When the pastor closed his Bible, the boy was not prepared for what happened next. He had not paid attention to any songs that was sing um, or the message that was preached. But suddenly, something unusually or something unusual and strange gripped his heart. He wasn't sure what to do with it other than to go forward with others to the altar and pray. He found a place on the left side of the platform and bowed his head before the Lord. Tears began to flow down his, uh, his face and roll from his eyes as for the first time in his life, the presence of God swept over him and filled his heart with a love he had never known. This experience was so powerful and impressive that he began addicted to such a encounter. Anytime he sensed the presence of God, he would reach out and, and begin to worship God so he can experience it every time. It did not matter if he was home alone or in his bedroom or in church on Sunday night. Whenever he sensed the presence of God, he will reach out and worship the Lord because he loved what that felt like. At the age of eight, he was baptized at, and, and at nine, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. For some, Perhaps that would have been enough, but not for him. He wanted to do something. He wanted to be used by God. His heart would burn any time the congregation would sing the chorus to be used of God to sing, to speak, to pray. 
to be used of God to show someone the way. I long so much to feel the touch of his consuming fire. To be used of God is my desire. He was especially moved by the part, by, by the part having to do with showing someone the way. For him, the presence of God became more than just a feeling. It ushered him into a relationship with God. But it became even more than that. He became even more than that. He began to realize that the Spirit of God was a missionary spirit. When he would allow the Holy Ghost to move upon him, it always seems to be more than a feeling and more like a direction that offered a purpose for his life. A few of his friends came to visit his church at difficult times. There were children, activities on Saturdays, kids revival, youth revival, and special uh, presentation to bring his friends to another time of the year. None of them, however, made a move towards God. Once he became an adult, he understood it not only took making friends to lead people to Christ, but friendship mixed with the part, with the art of spiritual conversation and sharing of the word of God will transform lives. Over the next several decades, this young boy, then young man, now young pastor, now middle-aged pastor, and now senior-aged pastor managed to lead many to Christ and establish them in their walk with God. He made disciples throughout his life and by the grace of God, he is still making disciples today. It was never enough for him to get a job, to go to church, pay tithes, serve in ministry, and wait for the rapture. His passion has always been and always will be to come out of the world, live a lifestyle that pleases God, and build relationship with lost people, and influence them to their own relationship with God. It's not enough to be saved. We have to go beyond being saved. We have to go beyond being saved. God has invested in you. You are God's property. Now let's take God's word to lost people. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for understanding and clarity. Lord, as we go from this place tonight, let the word of God resonate in our hearts.